Today I am going to read Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Samira write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, I tell you. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Apostles' Creed I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He was ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, which means universal, the communions of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So Blake, you all wired up and <laughs> you're ready to go? You know, uh, we've been here about 23 years, so not too much longer than Blake and Becky, but uh, you know, I've gotten to know just about all the pastors in town and all the youth workers in town, and I'm, I'm not just trying to butter you up, Blake, but uh, I wouldn't have wanted anybody else to be youth pastors. In my mind, uh, they are the best. And they have been faithful and loyal, and I love you guys. And, and I don't know, uh, the, poor, the poor person has to follow them, you know. <laughs> but give us the word, Blake. All right. All right. Love you, Dave. Yeah. Well, thank you, um, everyone, for being here. Thank you uh, for trusting the pulpit here to the youth pastor. Um, no, we've... Just, just a word here where we, we, uh, we've sensed that a transition has been coming for a little while, and, uh, and uh, it's not like there's any controversy here or not, no arguments with the senior pastor. Um, we, we've been treated really well here, and, and uh, we're just super blessed um, to have been doing this for so long. Um, we originally committed, we we're going to do this for two years, we said, and then we're going to be out of Fargo, <laughs> was the plan. But here we are over 19 years later, and, and we've loved our time here. We just, we really have. We love this church. Um, so, very grateful. But um, I did have a, 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 maybe a solution here as, as I'm leaving. Um, you guys know, like, you go to Walmart, and they have these checkout things, like these kiosks where you don't need a cashier anymore. Well, I was reading an article here uh, from the Babylon Bee, and here's the title of the article. It's uh, Youth Pastor Replaced by Automated Kiosk After Minimum Wage Hike. 
So I just, this article I thought was pretty good. Seattle, Washington. Following the, the city of Seattle's minimum wage hike in January, Carver Street Church of God has announced that the position of youth pastor will be filled by a self-service kiosk called MAT, multi-platformed automated teaching tool. According to the designers at Chris Tech, the base model MAT comes preloaded with everything a congregation may need from a youth pastor. MAT can perform all the following tasks. Reference the latest films, television shows, and music. Provide encouragement after a stinging Bible Bowl defeat. Offer theological, theologically dubious analogies. Teach a new songs class on Tuesday nights. Fill in for the congregation's regular minister on fifth Sundays. Fire off some lit devos at will. And play a mean game of hacky sack. Um, Matt really is the perfect youth pastor, says Paul Hover, Chief Technology Officer at Chris Tech. A lot of young people find it increasingly difficult to connect with human beings, but Matt gives them a familiar screen. While at Carver Street Church of God is the first religious organization to give Matt a trial run, Chris Tech anticipates that by the end of 2025, more than half of all churches will have such a system. It's only been nine months, and we don't even remember what life was like before Matt. Elder George Herman told the Babylon Bee, he does everything our former youth pastor did without complaining, without being paid, and without requiring a background check. In the near future, Chris Tech plans on introducing new features such as the hotly anticipated mobile map, an on-the-go youth pastor that uses proprietary software to tie pop culture figures and events to biblical characters and scriptures. So there you go. Uh, just uh, one way to go here with, the, with this position. Um, no, um, I do want to communicate kind of three things here this morning. Um, one, I, I, I want to talk about Revelation 2, the church at Smyrna, because that's kind of the one we're on. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what's been on my heart for the church. Uh, God's been stirring some things about church in me lately. And then I want to just reflect a little bit on uh, our time here in youth ministry. So... Um, Maybe uh, before I go further, I'm just going to reread a little of that Revelation chapter here, just if you forgot it already. To the angel of the church at Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is first and last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and not, but are a synagogue of Satan, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So, uh, a little background here on Smyrna. Uh, This is a city in the ancient world. Uh, It actually still exists today. It's a 3,000-year-old city. And uh, during the time that the book of Revelation was written, um, it was a very culturally significant, cosmopolitan-type city of the Roman Empire. Um, Population, as I read, was somewhere in in 100 or 200,000. Had many wealthy people in the city um, because it had a harbor and there was lots of trade there. So So cosmopolitan, wealthy city. It was a city to be in. Um, 
It was actually the, the city that Homer was, was born in, if you know uh, your history there. So we learn in this book uh, that the Christians are suffering at the hands of the Romans, but also the Jews. It was just the Jews, they were described as the synagogue of Satan. Uh, so the Christians would not bow down and worship Caesar as Lord, as was what was expected of much of the Roman citizens, to worship Caesar as Lord. But the Christians wouldn't do that. Um, so if you study church history, you'll know that, that uh, one of the things that's kind of stained our history is the way that many Christians have treated the Jews. The, the church has an ugly history of anti-Semitism. But in this case, in this, it's actually a case of anti-Christianism from the Jews. Um, so like the Apostle Paul, if you remember him, um, before he was converted, before his Damascus Road conversion, he was persecuting Christians as a Jew. And so that kind of thing was going on here. Many Christians were suffering from both the Romans and the Jews. So besides uh, physical and verbal persecution, uh, they're also experiencing great poverty because of their faith. Mentions that, the, the, the poverty that the Christians were facing. They weren't, the Christians were kind of like outcasts. They wouldn't get with the program of the Jews or the Romans. And so lots of people hated them. Uh, they, were, they were experiencing poverty because of their faith. You know, can you imagine having to beg from the people that hate you? This is perhaps what was happening here because, because of their faith. So what does Jesus offer to this church, to these Christians here? What is his promise to them? Well, I don't think it's what they probably wanted to hear. It's probably not what I would have wanted to hear, at least part of it. I said it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Some of you are going to go to jail. Some of you are going to be executed for your faith. Uh, but, but I want you to stay faithful even to the point of death. So I don't know about you, but this is a part of the faith that I, I don't get <laughs> too excited about. You know, this idea of embracing, suffering, persecution, possibly martyrdom. It's not the warm, fuzzy part of the faith that, that, I, that, I, uh, that I like to think about a lot, if I'm honest. And there is something, that this is something that we as American Christians know very little of. Um, and yet, this is a theme that's very much repeated in Scripture. Um, just a few, John fifteen twenty. a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Uh, Luke six twenty six. woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did the false prophets. First uh, Peter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Or 2 Timothy 3.12, those that want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So are we standing on the promises of God here? Um, I'm thankful, and I think most of us are. I'm very thankful for our country, for the freedom that we've had, for the Christian roots that we have in our country that, that much of our society has been based on. It's allowed us to meet here in this building in freedom. Um, has allowed us to flourish um, free of persecution for for the most part. So I'm, I'm very thankful that we haven't had to go, that I haven't had to go through much persecution in my life. But I wonder that 
that perhaps another reason that we Christians don't experience too much persecution uh, is that perhaps much of the world and the world's thinking has crept into the church. And that, you know, when you look at the average Christian, it doesn't, the life doesn't look much different than the average non-Christian. So I wonder about that. And in my own life, you know, what if you and I were a bit more bold in our faith? If you and I were a bit more bold in our speech, a bit more bold in radically loving people, I wonder if we might not come up against a little bit more slander and rejection like the church at Smyrna does. Not that I'm seeking it out, or not that we want to be acting like jerks, but I think that as Christians we need to be willing to suffer. Some of us maybe more than others. So where's the hope here in this in this passage? By the way, I didn't pick this, this happened to be the scripture that was for today. I didn't pick this passage out of all the passages, but there is some hope in these, in these verses, and a couple that I find in, in verse 9, it says, um, I know the afflictions, I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know the slander. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know the slander. And so I think it's comforting that the Lord Jesus, he knows, he sees and he knows. He knows what they're going through and he, he mentions that. And, I, and I, I just have to believe that Jesus knows what we're going through. He sees it, he knows it. In this room, people are experiencing difficulties. And I, I find it comforting that the Lord sees it and he knows. You know, some of us are experiencing grief. Some are experiencing hardships, pain, um, health things money troubles, family struggles. And Jesus, I'm just, just want to say that Jesus sees and he knows. He really does. Um, so he knows, he sees, he wants to bring comfort. He wants to give, bring you comfort in him. Uh, the second area that, that, uh, that we find hope is that we're reminded that a glorious eternity awaits it says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life, or the victor's crown. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And so just like in all these letters to the seven churches that, that we've been going through, they all have kind of a promise tied to them. And this, this, is, this is a promise. This is a real promise that a glorious eternity awaits. We have a sure promise for eternal life. Our life right now is not the end of the story. You know, some of us have it better than others. Some of us have it worse. If you have rags in this life, riches await in eternity. Uh, even if your life right now is difficult and painful and hard, peace and joy and happiness await when he returns. It's not about your best life now. Your best life is not now. It's in the future. His glorious appearing. Uh, the Bible does not promise safety. It doesn't promise physical peace or material bliss in this age. But we bank on the fact that it's coming. We're reminded of this fact. Titus 2.13 says, We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we wait. We, we know that better days are coming. And not that we can't enjoy life now. I'm not saying that at all. But we know this isn't the end of the story. This isn't the best. 
the best is yet to come. And Jesus reminds us of this, that, that it's going to be better. Um, so, you know, between now and eternity, some of us may suffer more, some of us may suffer less, but I don't think we need to worry too much about that. We don't need to compare ourselves to others. What we do need to do is we need to pursue God. We need to keep our eyes on him. We need to be faithful to what his word says. And we need to be faithful to where his spirit guides, whether that's to the Middle East to preach the gospel or whether it's to the middle aisle of the grocery store. We need to be faithful to what the spirit is saying to each one of us as individuals. Uh, Be faithful to what his word says. Uh, don't worry, don't fear. He, he promises to be enough in any circumstance. And I like how Paul says it in Philippians 4. Uh, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So if I could just kind of summarize here what I think uh, he's saying here to the church at Smyrna. Jesus says, I know what you're going through. It's not easy. I know, but hold on. It's worth it to follow me. It's worth it. I'm worth it. Better days are coming. I promise it's going to be really good. I'm going to make, I'm going to make it all right. So what about the church today? What is the Spirit saying to our church, to Calvary, to Fargo, to America? You know, we can all speculate on what, what the Lord is saying. Um, but for me, uh, he's been stirring up a number of things that I'm still, I'm still pondering um, about what, what is the church to look like? What does it mean to do church in this day and age? What's the best way to do church um, this stirring led me recently, a couple weeks ago, I went on a trip to a, uh, a leadership, a church leadership intensive in San Francisco. Um, it, was, it was put on by the author and pastor Francis Chan. A lot of you guys have read his, some of his books. Wonderful man of God. Um, but writing about his journey, uh, he wrote this book that came out this year. I'd, I'd, I'd recommend it. It's called Letters to the Church. Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. And uh, in it, he wrestles with this idea of what should church be about? What is the church to be about? And he, so speaking about much of the modern church in America, Chan says, we've strayed so far from what God calls church. We all know it. We know it where experience is radically different from the church in scripture. For decades, church leaders like myself have lost sight of the inherent mystery of the church. We've trained people sitting in the pews to become addicted to lesser things. It's time for a change. And so after leaving his mega church, which he started a few years back, he's starting over, doing things a little differently. Uh, he's calling this start over, We Are Church. And uh, I got to see firsthand a little bit how they do church. He's not saying that, he, that everybody has to do church exactly like him, but he's... Um, simplifying things there. Uh, and, and what I saw was very pure, very simple, very beautiful. Uh, there was a group of 14 of us that got to experience this leadership intensive. And um, it was a very powerful time. And, and the Lord is still kind of, I'm still processing what, what all this means for, 
for us, for our church, for me, and, and what the Lord is, is calling us to. But um, I just, they handed out um, just a sheet. I was going to share a few things with you. And this is a very challenging thing. It's, it says, what is a successful church? And on it, he, he lists some things, just questions to ask yourself, questions to ask your church about, you know, are we a successful church? And uh, so I'm just going to read some of these. These, these are challenges. These, these hit hard on me, too, because I'm not doing all these things. Don't, I'm not, not saying that. But um, so under the category of are we devoted worshipers, it says, you know, are we obsessed with knowing and loving the person of Jesus? Do your people seem to love spending time with the Lord by themselves? Do your people love reading the Bible and meditating on the word? Do your people love praying together for extended periods of time? Do your people love to gather together regardless of who's leading or teaching in worship? On on loving families, one of their values says, uh, do they give and care for their church family like their biological family? Do they spend more time thinking about themselves or others? Do they effectively use their spiritual gifts to build up the others? Do your people regularly meet each other's needs physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Do your people love being together outside of regular church functions? Do your people feel confident enough in the loving relationships to the extent that they can be honest about sin, fears, and needs? Do your people sacrifice for each other in various ways? Um, under the category of equipped disciple makers, there's, there's a number of questions, a couple of them. Do your people each actively seek to take responsibility for discipling others, either other believers or non-believers? Do your people view themselves as the main catalyst for evangelism and discipleship? Under spirit-filled missionaries, the question, do they regularly share the gospel while displaying character that evidences the Holy Spirit. A um, few more here. These are, these are challenging. <laughs> uh, do your people embrace the idea of moving out of their comfort zone for the sake of the gospel? Do your people's decisions seem to be motivated more by God's will and desires for their life or by their own will and desires for their life? Do your people display the fruit of the Spirit in a manner that separates them from those that don't have the Spirit? Do your people ask the Holy Spirit who needs prayer, healing, or who needs to hear the gospel during regular running of errands? And then lastly, under the category of suffering sojourners, which kind of fits in with the theme here of today, uh, do your people display deep, abiding joy in the midst of conflict and suffering? Do your people fearlessly make faith decisions, i.e. fostering, adoption, simple living, moving into harder areas, gospel proclamation, even though it may result in hardship to them? Or do they instead typically play it safe? Do your people show a willingness to jeopardize their job or social status for the gospel? Do your people make daily sacrifices because of the hope they have in Jesus' return? And then does this one, does suffering excite them in Jesus' name? So these are, 
these are a challenge, I, I just have to say. But, uh, you know, what, it, what does a successful church look like? It, I don't think it's about numbers. Um, but, but who are we as the, the people of God? The Lord is still stirring in me what, what this means. But um, I think the Lord is, is doing a work here. Um, a few weeks ago, our Friday morning men's group was, was looking at the passage of Mark chapter 7. Some of you Friday morning guys remember this. And in that one, Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders there uh, who are very offended uh, because, because the disciples were ignoring some of the traditions of men. They, were, they, they, were, they weren't washing their hands in this case. So they were very mad about that. But then they, they weren't too concerned about the clear commands of Scripture. So very committed to the traditions of man that were not good or bad, but just, just the traditions of man, while at the same time ignoring the clear commands of Scripture. And so Jesus was not happy about that. And we, we wrestled with that a little bit. And, and on, on my leadership intensive, we wrestled with this very same passage. And this is the question, you know, as the church moves forward, you know, what things is, the God, is God calling the church to be about? What things is God calling the church to let go of? Um, we need the Holy Spirit to help us walk through that. But I think the Lord is moving. I think we are um, experiencing a bit of a shaking in our country as a church. We're still figuring out what this means as a church. Just how are we supposed to do church? What's the best way to do church? And, you know, there's some ugly things that are coming up, some ugly things in our denomination that have come up. But there's also some good things that the Lord maybe is, is going to start some new things for the church in America. And, and, and Calvary Church as well. So that's, that's, what I, that's what I believe. But I want to be in on what the Spirit is saying and what God is doing on, on the church as a whole. We as, we as a church here at Calvary, we will be having to come against many of these decisions in the not-too-distant future. And I pray that we'll walk in wisdom with the dependence on the voice of His Spirit. So I know that's, that's a little, all that's kind of heavy stuff there. I, I apologize. Um, I want to just kind of, this last part, I just want to reflect a little bit on my time here uh, in youth ministry. And again, um, just so, so grateful. Um, Calvary, you have been so good to us, to Becky and I, to the whole Carlson family. Um, there's so many memories, uh, so many people that we've had a privilege to spend time with uh, that have loved us that we've we've enjoyed um so i wrote i was writing these down this week and well and uh there's so many more i could have written down um but i'm just so many things i won't forget so i won't forget uh, the sometimes fun and sometimes difficult chats with students over a cup of coffee or a taco at taco bell I won't forget the goofy and awkward skits and videos written and performed by the students at sunrise services, Valentine's dinners, or pre-talk openers at youth group on Wednesday nights. Uh, I won't forget the surprise visits I made to lunchrooms to, uh, to students. Um, I won't forget the time uh, Nate Anderson and I uh, had to shave our heads for some fundraiser that the church was putting on. Uh, I won't ever forget having to quiet down junior high boys in bunk beds as they giggle over yet another poop joke. Uh, I won't 
I won't forget being kicked out of the West Acres Mall for our game of Mall Mad Hunt one time. I won't forget our most epic adventure game the youth group played where it included a van or a, a bus full, full of students, a bunch of disguised church members uh, hiding around Island Park, uh, blindfolds, an abandoned downtown building, and an army Humvee. We had a, we had a really good time there. I won't forget the creepy mannequin pranks at Wesley Acres Camp, the mannequin. It's a, I have to ask students about that if you don't know what that's about. Um, I won't forget logging the majority of the church van's 70,000 miles to places like Kansas City, Minneapolis, Chicago, Denver, Lake Traverse, Spirit Lake, the Black Hills, a bunch of other places. Um, I won't forget that powerful mission trip we had in Bolivia um, where every one of us got diarrhea except Matt Miller. I remember that. I won't forget the time um, Becky and I woke up uh, in our bedroom to whispers and giggles outside the window. Uh, Apparently some students were teeping and uh, sporking our lawn. And so I remember sneaking out the side door and grabbing the garden hose and spraying down. I think Ross Fleming was one of them I got, as well as some others. That was great. Um, yeah, uh, I won't f- uh, f- forget building the over-the-top cardboard mazes for the harvest party in the old youth room at the old church. I won't forget the many lock-ins. I probably won't miss the lock-ins either. Uh, I won't forget the countless Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings digging into God's word and worshiping Jesus with a bunch of wonderful students and adult leaders. I won't forget seeing students' eyes open and hearts soften as they ministered to homeless shelters in Denver and Kansas City, reservations in North and South Dakota. Um, uh, Kids on the streets of Chicago the neighborhoods there and in a Gospel Hill camp in Minneapolis. I won't forget the amazing Holy Spirit encounters we've had at some of our youth retreats, uh, most notably at Wesley Acres in the fall of 2007, but also uh, Crystal Springs a couple of years later and then a few years later that, Northern Pines. Uh, God has really moved in some amazing ways. I'm so grateful for Uh, I won't forget uh, mourning the loss of two students to unexpected death in the summer of 2011. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I'm grateful. So I'm grateful for the many times God moved powerfully. Grateful for the humbling experiences as well. Youth ministry really humbles you too. Messages that bombed. Worship times that didn't connect. An event that flopped. We had lots of those, too. I'm grateful for friendships with truly wonderful uh, youth team. Uh, Brad, Zach, Hermie, Brandon, Heather, Jennifer, Kathy, uh, Tyler and Mary over there, uh, Stan and Camilla, Jason Dahlmeyer, Kathy Spriggs, Don, Chad, Diana, Molly, Dennis, Nancy, Wayne, many others. I'm grateful for uh, your guys' outpouring of financial support 
In 2013, we took our family on a short-term mission to the Philippines, and you guys really blessed us. Um, just, I'm grateful for your love and support through four births, one miscarriage, a couple of foster transition, tough, tough foster transitions, and one adoption. I'm grateful for your prayers for miraculous healing for our son Caleb while he was in the womb. I'm grateful for learning about ministry under one of the coolest, godliest, and goofiest, wonderful senior pastors in the world. I'm grateful for an amazing partner in life and ministry uh, who compliments my weaknesses and makes me look better than I actually am many times. There's no way I'd have done this without Becky. So thank you, Calvary, and all for loving me and my family. Thank you for our time here so far. Um, I believe God is writing a new chapter for our family, um, for, for other families in this church, for this congregation in general. I believe God has good things in store. So I'm going to just pray. So thank you, guys. Lord, I just uh, thank you uh, for this church. Thank you for, for the love that, that happens here, that we've experienced Thank you for your love, God, and just this special place called Calvary. Lord, as we read in the scriptures, we read about um, hard things, persecution, difficult things, Lord. Lord, would you make us the church that you want us to be, Lord, whatever that means. Lord, wherever that brings us, whatever that looks like. Lord, help us to be faithful to where you're calling us, Lord. What is the Spirit saying to the church? We want to listen, God. We want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray before we receive uh, God's tithe and our offering. God, we just thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I pray, God, that as we receive... uh, your tithe and our offerings, Lord, that it would be used to continue to further on the ministry of the Word of God through this church we call Calvary. Just thank you again for Blake and Becky and their whole family, and Lord, the way you're using them now, and you're going to use them in the future, and the way you've used them in the past, just thank you for the good word that Blake gave us today, uh, inspired by your Holy Spirit. So whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, and to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank the Lord. God, I just thank you for each one of these wonderful people. And Lord, I know it's not an accident that they're joining the church today officially. Lord, I pray that you would uh, continue to reveal yourself to each one of them. Lord, I, I thank you for the gifts that you've given them. Uh, through creation, and also through redemption, Lord, just as spiritual gifts that you want uh, used in your body to, to build up and to edify the body of Christ so that we can be 
better disciples and better witnesses for you as a church. So Lord, uh, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And we thank you for the church. Lord, we know uh, churches aren't perfect, uh, but we're your bride. And, and you love. You love the church, Jesus. And you're coming back for the church. And I thank you, Lord, that we can be part of this forever family through simple faith in Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.